you know, the Lord put a song in my heart, Amazing Grace, but the one um, verse that he highlighted was, um, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. And it just made me very so thankful that, you know, though um, many trials of many kinds and many sorrows um, have encountered my life, the Lord has strengthened me, and I was able to move past it all and get over um, Times I fall, the Lord picked me up, and I continued on, and looking back, I was just so full of gratefulness. You know, how the Lord strengthened me when I needed strength, encouraged me when I needed encouragement. And, um, you know, I find myself today just so blessed and at a place where I wouldn't have imagined at a certain point in my life. So I, I, the Lord just reminded me all that he's done yesterday. And, and, it, and it gives me encouragement for the future because I know he's not finished with me. Thanks, Joseph. This morning I'm going to begin in Deuteronomy chapter 1. In Deuteronomy, the Moses uh, speaking to the children of Israel 40 years after they came out of Egypt. The whole generation of men, 20, to, 20 years old and older, had passed away. And they're about to enter over. And Moses is about to die. He's about to go up the mountain to die. And because the Lord told him he couldn't go into the promised land. Uh, and Joshua would lead them in, that whole story. And so now he reviews what God did, and he gives them insight into what everything he saw and warning. And there, so why is he reviewing all this? Because this is a, this is, a lot of these people were young, and some of them were too young to even remember. Because, you know, the oldest any of these people he's speaking to now, except Joshua and Caleb, is at least 40 years old. The, you know, of, of those that he's... <clears throat> and as old as... They could... Uh, no, no older than 60 years old, except Joshua and Caleb. Everybody else was 20 years and older when they, when they came out of Egypt. Some of them weren't even born. And so he goes through the history of what God did in those 40 years from the coming out of Egypt going forward. And so, you know, we look at this often, and why is it? Because as we look at the Israelites in the first, as God set forth before them the first covenant, we can learn something for ourselves about the covenant, the new covenant, the covenant that God made with, with the, the people of God, those who are in Christ. We need to look at this and take heed and learn from and and relate with this message for ourselves. So we'll begin uh, in verse 20. And Dave, if you could read from verse 20 to verse 33. Deuteronomy, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 20 to 33. And I said to you, you have come to the mountains of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. Look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it, as the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you. Do not fear or be discouraged. And every one of you came near to me and said, let us send men before us, and let them search out the land for us, and bring back word to us of the way by which we should go up, and of the cities into which we shall come. The plan pleased me well, so I took twelve of your men, one man from each tribe, 
And they departed and went up into the mountains and came to the valley of Eshcol and spied it out. They also took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us. And they brought back word to us saying, It is a good land which the Lord our God has given us. Nevertheless, you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you complained in your tents and said, Because the Lord hates us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our our hearts, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to the heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. Then I said to you, Do not be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you, He will fight for you according to all He did for you in in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where, where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carried his son in all the way that you went until you came to this place. <clears throat> Yet for all that, you did not believe the Lord your God, who went in the way before you to search out a place for you, to pitch your tents, to show you the way you should go, in the fire by night and in the cloud by day. This is a <clears throat> very interesting that God set this before the people of Israel. This was his plan. This was his plan from the beginning, and he set it before them. And they came back after the... First, they, when God told them to go up, and Moses told them, it says they came near to Moses and said, Let us send men before us, and let them search out the land for us. And bring back word to us, you see the very beginning of the mistrust. You know, God had destroyed Egypt and got them out by a miraculous hand. The power of God was with them. God was with them. It says at the the end of verse 33, to show you the way you should go, the fire by night and the cloud by day. A physical presence that they could have put their trust in. A cloud by day leading them. Fire by night. A pillar of fire by night. You know, God doing all these things. And yet, they have a perverted viewpoint of God. They heard the report concerning, and the the ten spies who gave the report, all they had was their logic, and their human reasoning to put their faith in. They didn't put their faith in the Word of God, the power of God, the presence of God. None of it. They put their faith in their own logic, in their human reasoning. No wonder they were afraid. No wonder they looked and said, this, is, this ain't going to work, this is not going to fly. We can't do this. No wonder they were discouraged. Because they had no faith in the power of God. They had no faith in the presence of God. They had no faith in His guidance, His leading, His plan. And that's where it left them. And we as Christians need to listen to that. And take take heed to the words that are said here. Because there's a message in it for us. Uh, The next one is in chapter 2. Chapter 2 and verse uh, 24 and 25. Rise, take your journey and cross over to the river Arnon. Look, I have given it into your hand into your hand, Sihon the Amorite, king of Heshbon and his land. Begin to possess it and engage him in battle. 25. Oh, this day I will bring out, excuse, excuse me, this day I will begin to put 
the dread and fear of you upon the nations under the whole heaven, who shall hear the report of you, and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. God does this. He did it after two of Jacob's sons wiped out all the people in the city of Hebron. Was it Hebron? Shechem. The city of Shechem. That whole situation. And it says Jacob took his whole family and all the sons and their families and they left Shechem and they and they moved back to Hebron and got away from there. He said no one uh, pursued after Jacob and his family because God put his dread upon them and they were afraid to go after him. God put the fear, his fear upon the people so they wouldn't touch him. The power of God. And God said, I'm going to put my fear upon all these people round about. So they're not going to be able, they're going to be scared of you and you're going to put them in anguish and tremble. And you know, one thing we know in the history of war, it's hard to fight a battle if you're afraid. It's very hard to stand up in battle if you're afraid. You've seen in times in war, if you look in history, that one army struck an other army so hard at the beginning and just put the fear into them, they just turned and ran. And they had bigger armies. But fear is a bad thing. It can put the flight, you know, you know, powerful armies. And he said, don't fear them. He says, they will fear you. God has given angels charge concerning those who inherit salvation, Hebrews said. In the book of Psalms, it says, I will give angels charge over you, lest at any time you should dash your foot against the stone. God is with us, and he has sent angels. It says, angels have been sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. They're ministering spirits. We don't see them. It's a matter of believing the Word of God about that. And God is with us. The next one is in chapter 7, or chapter 6, I'm sorry. Chapter 6, verses 10 to 12. So it shall be, when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you, do not, which you did not build, housing, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, when you have eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. God delivered us from slavery, forgave us our sins, and brought us into a covenant. You see here he mentions the first covenant that he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them this land. He says, when I fulfill the covenant and bring you into this land that I've delivered you, don't forget that I brought you out of slavery. Don't forget from where you came from. He says, lest you forget. And eventually that's what did happen to the Israelites. The second, the first, this generation didn't forget, but the next generation did. And they hardened their hearts and turned away from the Lord. Don't forget that we were once bound in sin. I once was lost, and I am, now I am found, was blind, but now I see. Amazing grace. Never forget that it's by grace that we stand. The grace of God by which we stand. And He's made a covenant, a promise with us too. It says that God swore by two things. He swore by an oath and he swore by himself. 
because he could swear by no one greater. He swore by his own name because he could swear by no greater. In this new covenant, and he says, by these two things, God swearing and swearing by his name, by himself, he says, by these two things we have hope. God is not a liar, he says. So this promise of eternal life is steadfast and sure. And his promise to be with us and in us is steadfast and sure. So the next one is in the next chapter, chapter 7. And I'll just refer to something. I read this last week. He says in verse 7, The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people. For you are the least of all peoples, but because the Lord loves you, because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers. The Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. God loves us and he has made a covenant with us the same way he made a covenant with Israel. He covenant with Israel is a swear, the oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The covenant is to us. It says, whosoever believes on him would not perish, but have eternal life. And there are many other promises in the New Testament. Corinthians, it says that the promises of God are yes in Christ and amen to the glory of God. We have many precious promises given to us that are given to us as we believe on Christ and follow Him. We should have confidence. The next one is in chapter 8, verse 2 to 6. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these forty years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these forty years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord chastens, that the Lord God, the Lord your God chastens you. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. You notice here it says the Lord led you forty years the wilderness you see his leading and he says he did it to humble them to test them and he humbled them and he was teaching them he says that he might make you know in the middle of verse 3 that man does not live by bread alone but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and he disciplined them a, a leader, a guide through the wilderness, someone who teaches us, someone who guides us and disciplines us so that we keep his commands, that we follow the wisdom and the guidance and the help of his word, that we follow his lead. <clears throat> the next one in Deuteronomy. And the last one in Deuteronomy is in chapter 9, verses 1 to 4, and verse 6. Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today and go into into dispossessed nations greater and mightier than yourself, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the descendants of the Anakim, who you know, and of whom you heard it said, who can stand before the descendants of Anak? Therefore, understand today that the Lord your God 
is he who goes over before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and bring them down before you. You shall drive them out and destroy them quickly, as the Lord your God has said to you. Do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out before you, saying, Because my righteousness the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But if it but it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out from before you. Verse 6. Mm-hmm. Therefore, understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. Mm-hmm. And on that last thing is that God does not call us, and He doesn't bless us, and he doesn't help us because of our unrighteousness. And he points that out. He, goes, he says, you're a stubborn and stiff-necked people. He says, he didn't, you're, he said, I'm not taking you in here. He didn't make this covenant because of their, and, and continue this covenant with them because they were righteous. He says, for you are a stiff-necked people, stubborn, resistant, rebellious, all those things. It was His grace and His mercy to them that brought them in. And He says, "Not the." He says, "I'm going to go before you, and I'm going to take all these these nations and drive them out." This generation believed, and it happened. Their parents didn't believe, and it didn't happen for them because they did not believe in the power, the guidance the teaching, the discipline, and the presence of God. They didn't believe in all that. They saw it, and they, but they hardened their heart to it. That's why it says in Hebrews, not to harden your heart, like the children of Israel did in the wilderness. That's what they were doing. All the things that were on display, that God spoke from His mouth, and His Word, His Word to them, they hardened their heart to it over and over and over again for 40 years. The next generation did not. Because they saw what happens when you don't take heed to the Word of God. And you don't believe in His integrity. You don't believe in His power. You don't believe in His guidance. You don't believe in His help and His teaching and His discipline. From there... We go to John chapter 14. Uh, Verses uh, 15 to 18. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father... And he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come back to you. Mm -hmm. He begins to reveal that he will put the Holy Spirit in people. He'll put it in them. Now, people will look at Deuteronomy and what we read in Deuteronomy and Numbers about the Israelites. Say, well, they saw all the miracles of God and they saw the, the, cloud of, the cloud of pillar in the day and the fire night. It was easier for them to believe and they're more foolish than us. Say, well, wait a minute. There's a big difference that we need to take into account. God's Spirit was with them, but it was not living in them. God's presence was physically present in a cloud by day and fire by night, pillar of fire at night, but not living in them. But Jesus begins to reveal that those who believe this message of Christ being Savior and Lord and respond to that message in faith, then he will put his Holy Spirit in them. 
He said he would put the Holy Spirit in all those who would believe in him. If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And says he was speaking of the Holy Spirit, that those who believe in him would receive. And so we talk about this verse often. But are we getting the message that it's the, the reality of the, the magnitude of the message that that's saying? He is living in us. Not a cloud out there, not a pillar of fire, not the fireworks that we can see. It's much closer. His presence is not in a pillar of fire out there. His presence is within. The children of God the presence within. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He wasn't just talking about the apostles. He's talking to all of us who believe in him. And then we go to uh, verse 26. I'll read that, just one verse. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Teacher. Sounds just like what we read that God did for Israel. A teacher from within. Not just through the prophets, you know, of old. Not just from the apostles, as we read His Word. He gives us a spirit to communicate with us from within and to teach us and guide us personally in our own lives. He will teach us. In chapter 16, we read verse 13. And however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and tell it to you, declare it to you. You see, a guide. He will guide you. Guide you into all truth. Will guide you in the, he will guide us in the Word as we look into His Word. He'll give us understanding and insight into His Word. It says He will tell us things to come. Things that are going to happen in the future. You mean things that, that you know, concerning the end times? Yes. You make aware that you know, the signs of the times. He will remind us of the things He says. A reminder. He'll remind us things that we might have forgotten. It's like, <clears throat> you know, and it reminds us things that we've heard in His Word. Things that Jesus said. And He will take the things that are Jesus's and declare it to us. The things of the covenant. He will teach us the new covenant. What, this, what the promises of God are. What this new covenant is. He will, he will open our eyes to it. And all aspects of it. He'll make us grow, he'll help us to grow up in you. We often quote from Ephesians, not Ephesians, Philippians chapter two. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, because it is God who is at work in you to do and to will of his good pleasure. Working in us. And you see how God was working with the Israelites, teaching them things about, you know, through manna and through different circumstances so that they would know that man does not live by bread alone. He didn't give them all the luxuries of life so they would know to put their trust in Him and to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That is what the Holy Spirit is teaching us, present within us. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. 
was very familiar to many of us. In verse 8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall bear witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judah, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Power to be a witness. That's right. The Holy Spirit gives us power to be His witnesses. The power to have courage, to have boldness. He opened the doors before the apostles. They prayed and and God opened doors for the Word to be spoken. People would prepare people's hearts to hear the Word and and to embrace it. Power to be His witnesses. Not to put our faith in ourselves, but in the power of God. To put our faith in the power of God to be His witnesses. The next one is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Beginning in verse uh, verses uh, ten to thirteen, but God revealed them to us through His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Mm-hmm. Trying to apply human wisdom and logic to the Word of God and we have many universities that do those kinds of things. And many, many people apply that kind of and try to understand God and His Word that way and His covenant. Good luck. It's not going to be understood that way. But God has given us a way to understand His covenant and the things that He has prepared for those who love Him. And He has revealed them to us, it says, through His Holy Spirit. And again, it reemphasizes that he says that the Spirit makes known to us the things that have been given to us freely from God, not just eternal life and all the blessings and the greatness of eternal life, not to minimize any of that. He's revealed that to us through his Spirit. But he also reveals what he has for us in this life, the promises of God that are also for this life how to live the Christian life in victory and power. So you see what we're we're getting to here. That we must put faith in His power, His leading of the Holy Spirit, His Spirit teaching us, guiding us, correcting us, disciplining us. Everything we need. He's doing. We must put faith in that. We must put faith in His presence. The Israelites didn't. We must put faith in His presence, not only with us, but in us. Jesus said, His Spirit is with you and shall be in you, He said to His apostles, His disciples at that time. Shall be in you. And now, in this time of the new covenant, the Holy Spirit can be in us. Not just around us, not just with us, like in the Old Covenant, but in us, in our soul, in our spirit. What is he doing there? This is what we're reading. Teacher, guide, helper, power, authority, wisdom, love, to, to walk in the bare fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's all there for us. We don't have to look outside ourselves. We don't need another book, another t- tape, another counselor. 
need to believe what he said about his help for us, his guidance, his presence, living within to those who believe on him. Um, I'll just read uh, 1 Corinthians 6.19 Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you have from God and you are not your own for you are bought at a price Therefore glorify your glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's, in our inner man, and in our bodies. But he asked the question, don't you know that you your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is given to you from God and is in you. And he's saying that to them to remind them to not walk carnally. He says, don't you know? And, th- and this is a very important thing he's saying here because this is one of the things that a Christian can struggle with very easily. It's very natural to have this struggle. We forget this. And if we do, it says... You know, we don't honor God in our body. We let our body do its own thing sometimes. Walk in the flesh. We forget God's presence. It says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. What's the word grieve means? Not to make him sorry when he's, he's living in you. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by which you are sealed for the day of redemption. The giving of the Holy Spirit living within. Because he loves us, not because we deserve it. Because he loves us. Why does he love us? Because we believe on His Son. But now we understand from everything we're reading today, we must believe Him for all the things we've talked about today. We must believe on Him for His presence. That He's with us and in us. We must believe on Him that He loves us. And He's made promises to us who are His children. We must believe that He will take care of us and provide for us. We must believe every word and live by every word that came from Him. We must believe in His guidance, that He's guiding us. We don't have to figure this out. I hear so many brethren say things that I've said. You know, I'm not sure if this is from God, and they're all anxious about it. I'm not sure whether, you know, this is the way I should go, and things like that, but they say it in a place of anxiety. Where is our confidence in the leading of God? So I don't know which way to go. Acknowledge Him in all of your ways. Seek Him, and He will direct your path. He will guide you. You don't have to be afraid anymore of making the right decision or anything else. He will show us. He came to guide us into all truth, spiritual truth, and whatever truths that we need for this life to get through this life, this wilderness he led them all the way through the wilderness for 40 years and yet they didn't trust him that whole generation perished in the wilderness believe in his teaching us his guiding us not just through the bible you know, some people have a, they're stuck in the mud that it's only through the bible that he'll teach us he teaches us in life also He's our guide and teacher in life for the practical things in life. If we acknowledge Him, acknowledge Him in all of our ways, everything, and He will direct our path. So with that, I just want to share, before I, I, I finish, I just want to share something I read from out of a book from Andrew Murray. And uh, it's a kind of, emphasizes what, a little bit of what I'm sharing today. Just a few excerpts from it. 
Our prayer for power of the Holy Spirit through us and in us is only answered as the indwelling in every believer is clearly acknowledged and lived out. In other words, we acknowledge His presence and live it out that He's present. Just an acknowledgement of keeping that in mind. We yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. Confess His presence in us. Realize and accept His guidance in our daily life. Jesus said, My sheep follow my voice. That the Holy Spirit would guide us and lead us. So we have to acknowledge His his leading and guiding and then yield to it. And that's very important. Not only to, to recognize all this, but then to yield to His lead. To yield to His guidance. That's what we mean when we say walking in the Spirit. Being led by the Holy Spirit. You know, we're recognizing that He lives in us. And that He is teaching and guiding and correcting and showing us and, and, and doing these things for our good. You see the perverted outlook of the Israelites. Because the Lord hated us, He led us out here to die in the wilderness. What kind of God did they believe in? They believed in a kind of a God that would exercise ten plagues over the most powerful country in the world, get them out of there, bring them out in the wilderness, feed them manna from heaven, water coming out of a rock, giving them His covenant, only to drop them on their head. (laughs) It was a very perverted outlook. But yet we can have that kind of fear festering inside of us. That fear is real. That fear that God is not going to help us is real. And it's wrong. And it's from the human nature, the old man. We need to call it what it really is. It's the old nature, the carnal mind, that poisons us with these kinds of perverted viewpoint of God. It's because He loved us that He gave all this to us. And He wants us to embrace it. To believe it and then to yield to it. To yield to His... To realize and accept His guidance in our daily lives. To believe in His presence. A living faith indwelling of His indwelling must be accepted and treasured until it becomes part of our consciousness of our new man. In the faith, in this faith, the whole life, even the little things, we surrender to God's leading. We wait in faith for His divine leading and working. Waiting on God. Believing in His guidance. Believing in His indwelling presence recognizing it and yielding to his leading. Sounds a little deep. That's really, I mean, that's really what God is telling us. He lays out before us those before us who failed in this and the, and the dire consequences that came upon them. And they never entered God's rest. We enter God's rest through faith. We are a victorious Christian through faith in His covenant, in His promises, in His presence, in His teaching us and guiding us and leading us. It's all there. That's what I have today, brothers. Sisters. Any brothers would like to comment on this? Anything else they have? I think that just strikes me the most when hearing this. When you hear from you know the Book of Deuteronomy, um, you know how how they reacted to all that God had already done for them, and how how much. 
he was offering them in the future, proving, proving his love toward them. And as he said, he was giving it not because of, you know, the fact that they were good or that they um, deserved it. They were stiff-necked. They were rebellious. They were faithless. He chose them because he loved them. And he's chosen us because he loves us. And, <clears throat> you know, to, to see that his commitment is so much greater than we give him credit for is the thing that we should be focusing on because it will keep us from questioning his sincerity. You know, his sincerity is there. He has, you know, it says that he died for us while we were yet sin while we were yet enemies. Um, you know, everything that he's done and continues to do to, you know, provide us with the, the Holy Spirit, to pro provide us with life in us to this dead, you know, body we live in, um, you know, is a continuation of his commitment, you know, to, for him to will and to, for us to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's all, it's him working it in us. And, you know, he, he, his, his, um, sincerity and his honesty and everything is questionless. I mean, we, if we just reason <clears throat> with what we know about him and, and, and what he's done for us, uh, it, it really settles in our hearts the fears that the people, you know, exhibited there. You know, what did he do bring us out here, you know, after, you know, freeing us from bondage? Did he bring us out here to kill us? You know, because they were looking at these tall, you know, big, 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 strong, strapping guys, I guess, you know, there were giants, and, you know, their cities were big, and everything was big, you know, and they were, they were thinking God brought them out to be slain by them, you know, how foolish, I mean, God had just said, you know, just go forth, and I'm giving you this into your hand. They had seen his his hand, his mighty hand, do things that their minds couldn't even comprehend before, you know. And yet, they jumped to that conclusion, you know. It's so prevalent in all of us if we're not focusing on his, the perfect God. He's not a liar. He can't lie. He's not able to, <laughs> it's not part of his being, you know, so it's, a, you know, I, there's a verse somewhere where he says, come reason with me, you know, I, and I don't remember Isaiah. where, it's Isaiah. Yeah, come, re let us reason together, if, our, my, if your sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Yeah, and, and, and that's what God is asking us to do, obviously, you know, he's given us, you know, an abundance, an overwhelming abundance of proof of his love for us. So he's now saying, reason with me, you know? And I, I tell you, it's, it's if, you, if, you, if you don't do it on a regular basis, it's so easy to start fearing, you know, and to find yourself in the same mindset as they were. You know, is God gonna, you know, reject me? You know, he's, he's given everything he's done to prove that and he's given us life in Christ and he's given us the spirit that causes us to desire him. We wouldn't have wanted him. We didn't want him. He we didn't none of us wanted him before he came and, and and placed that in our heart. You know, he even did that. So why would he lead us all to this place, you know, to just abandon us? You know, uh, one thing that um, I was meditating on, like the word grace, and I I know for myself personally, one thing that's really encouraged me was that um, even when I do fall, um, you know, I I know that all I have to do is um, confess my sins, repent of it, and His grace meets me. Not only does He forgive me. 
but um, he, I have that clean slate just like we talked about in Isaiah. He, he washes us white as snow, and I can continue on, and I can continue to expect and receive um, grace from God, blessings from God. Not that I deserve it, but because, you know, His grace. And sometimes I, I have for, fall, you know, like fallen into this trap where when I'm doing well, you know, that's when I'm expecting good things, you know what I mean? Because I'm doing well. But it's important to remember, even when you're not doing well, that you can confess your sins, repent of them, and continue to expect God's grace. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Such a good point. Yeah. <clears throat> One of the things that I've heard, heard many others say that I've felt myself at times as a Christian was, you know, I don't know how I can do this. What God wants me to do. Uh, I don't know how I can overcome this problem, this temptation, this evil, this these people, this how can I deal with these people's hate towards me? How can I love my enemies? How can I do all these things? And you know, that comes from the place of looking at ourselves. And looking for ourselves to do that. I've heard Christians say, well, you know, if we were arrested and, you know, and they started doing it, I don't know if I could, I could, if I could handle it. And this is a clear examples of what we're talking about here, of having no recognition of the presence of God in their life, no recognition of His power, of His help, of His grace, as, as uh, Justin was just talking about, and His mercy, and His love, and His guidance, and His help, and everything that we need, that if we must go through any troubles, that He will give us the grace to go through them. You know, I know somebody who said, well, God, you know, the Bible says that God would not allow me to be tempted above that which I'm able to bear. But I can't handle this temptation, and so God failed me. Yeah, I've had somebody tell me that. More than one person. But as we go to read the rest of that verse, it says, when it says that God will not allow us to be tempted beyond which we're able, that which we're able to bear, but God will provide a way of escape that we may bear it. Bear what? Temptation. Doesn't mean God's always going to take that temptation away. But God will give us what we need. He'll provide for us help in the time of testing. When our faith is being tested, He will provide for us so that we can bear that testing. We can bear that temptation. We can bear those tribulations and trials. He's with us. And He's in us. He's there for a reason. Don't forget it.